Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it's our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered to worship Lord Jesus Christ on this Sunday morning. Um, in just a minute, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 18. But before we get there, I just really want to thank you so much. If you're a guest with us this morning, it really is our privilege to have you with us. I'd ask you to do me a favor inside of the worship folder that you received when you came in. There's a little tear-off. You can fill out and just let us know that you visited with us this morning. If you would prefer, you can go online at malvernhill.org connect, or you can use the card that's tucked down in the pew in front of you. I promise I'm not going to come knock on your door this afternoon. I will be at home doing all of my Mother's Day duties. Um, I just want to drop a letter to you in the mail this week and let you know how much we appreciated having you. Uh, the other thing I just want to say is for those of you who are ours, I'm so appreciative of how well everybody has responded to our new two-service uh, time schedule. I've received tons of great support this week, lots of good encouragement. You guys showed up and showed out, and I just appreciate all of the effort and the volunteers that have, that have put in a lot of time. We had a lot of people that served uh, in both services last Sunday, so we're doing that this Sunday. Of course, our praise teams are uh, doubling up, so I appreciate that. Our greeters have really shown up and did what they were supposed to do above and beyond. So I just appreciate your effort so much in doing all those things. I promise you that what you're doing is being noticed and it's going to make a difference uh, long term. And I just appreciate it. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in the book of Acts chapter 18. I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand and honor God's Word. I'm reading a relatively long passage of Scripture, 17 verses. If you cannot stand quite that long, we understand. So you keep your seat. We still appreciate you being here, but you keep your seat as we read God's Word. Stand with me in honor of God's Word, Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus, that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, and the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. 
Join with me as we pray. Father God, I pray that you would give us a mind to appreciate and a heart to look forward to the future of this church. Lord God, to the future people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that as we look at these words about the Apostle Paul's ministry in Corinth, that we take them to heart, that you would move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So this morning, we find ourselves making it to the city of Corinth. Last week, if you were with us, we saw Paul's ministry in Athens. And Paul's ministry in Athens, uh, in many ways, was one of the high marks of Paul's ministry. There in Athens, Paul engaged with uh, the upper echelon of Roman society. He was in what was the intellectual center of the Roman world. But the reality is, it's not just that Athens was the intellectual center of the Roman world. Athens was the intellectual center of the Western world for a long period of time, even preceding Rome's overtaking of Greece, right? So Athens is the center of all of these intellectual experiences. And last week we saw how Paul secured for himself through the relationships and the ministry that he did in Athens an opportunity to stand at the Areopagus. Some of you have already looked at that in your life groups this morning. And there he stood at the Areopagus and he proclaimed to them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he goes from the upper echelon of the academic and intellectual world in Athens and he goes from there and he comes down to Corinth. And folks, Corinth was not Athens. If, if Athens looked like Oxford, England perhaps, the center of, of or, or, or Harvard or one of those areas, Corinth looked a lot more like Las Vegas. Corinth was known as a place of, uh, uh, of financial well-being. Corinth was known as a place where people made a lot of money. It was also known as a place of incredible licentiousness. One commentator does call it the Las Vegas of the ancient world, but an ancient poet Horace said that it was a place where only the strong survive. Paul left the intellectual center of the world and walked into a frat party. It was right here in Corinth that there was even a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love. At its peak, the temple of Aphrodite is said to have have housed up to one thousand cult prostitutes because the worship of Aphrodite involved uh, this, these cult prostitutes. So this is the world where Paul finds himself in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in Corinth. And it's for that reason that when he wrote to the Corinthians, later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, I came knowing nothing among you save for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen, when he got to Corinth, there was no philosophy uh, there was no academic debate. When he got to Corinth, he was rolling his sleeves up and getting down in the muck and the mire of this sinful world. And he was giving to them what they desperately needed to hear was the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for their sins and rose again on the third day. He got straight into business. See, Paul was willing to do whatever he needed to do to see the gospel go forward. Now, what we're going to see is that Paul didn't see immediate results. I just read that to you. He preached to the Jews initially, and what happened? They weren't interested in believing. So what's he do? He says, I, I wash my hands of you. I shake my garments out among you. I'm going to do that in my house one day. If y'all don't want to listen to me, I'm just going to shake all this out, and I'm going to walk away. But the idea there was that he literally wanted the dust to not cling to him of these people. I'm shaking this off. If you're not going to listen, then I'm going to go somewhere where people will listen. He didn't see immediate results, but God told Paul to keep preaching. 
Because God said, I have people in this city. Paul was preaching to the future church. And in many ways, we're doing the same things. We're constantly looking not only to the people who are here, but to the people who desperately need to be reached with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind this morning, that I want us to wrestle with the question whether or not you will look ahead. Will you look ahead at all that God has in store, not only for you personally, but what God has in store for our community and for our church? Will you look ahead at those people who don't yet know Jesus, but who desperately need to hear about Him? The first thing from this passage of Scripture that I want us to cling to is this idea that we need to keep on speaking. We need to keep on speaking. You need to continue to talk of God's love. You need to continue to speak of God's grace. You need to continue to tell people just how much God loves them and how much God desires to have a relationship with them and to change their lives. Now, you know that Paul went, the first place he went was to the Jews. He went there and he spoke in the synagogue. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. Do you know how tempting it is when people don't want to listen to you to just walk away and just be done? You ever been in that spot where you wanted to share good news with somebody? Perhaps you wanted to share good advice with somebody and they just didn't want to hear anything you had to say? How tempting is it at that point to just you know, throw your hands up and just to be done? Folks, I want to encourage you this morning. Do not be discouraged if you don't see immediate results. Do not be discouraged if you don't see immediate results. Now, these might be immediate results that you long for in an individual, and it's just not happening yet. Some of you might want, want to see immediate results maybe in your business or at your school where you're sharing the gospel and it just seems like it's going nowhere. You've been praying diligently. Maybe there's a, a child or a mother or a father that you're praying for daily and you just don't seem to be getting anywhere. Maybe yours is even broader and you just want to see a significant impact in your community. And all your efforts seem to be getting nowhere. Let me encourage you, don't stop. Don't get discouraged. It's Mother's Day. And so on Mother's Day, how many of you moms know what it's like to not get exactly what you want out of your children the minute that you tell them to do it? I mean, in my house, of course, my children are perfect. They obey all the time because it's the pastor's house, right? I mean, the pastor's kids are the perfect kids until they spend time with the deacon's kids. And then things get a little bit awkward. If I can keep my kids away from y'all's kids, my kids will be just fine. Y'all's kids are the problem, you see. Yeah, yeah, right. No, I mean, we know this as parents, don't we? We know what it is. We, we want to see our children do a certain thing or grow into a certain thing or, or have a certain kind of behavior. We want to see them to be obedient, maybe. And we don't see immediate results. How tempting can it be to just, oh, just give up? You know, I, I'll never get there because we're not playing the long game as it comes to our kids. Y'all, some of you don't want to fight the fight with your kids, for instance, to get them into church on Sunday morning because it seems like the only thing that you're doing is playing the short game you got to be fighting the right fights. I mentioned this in my life group this morning. As it relates to you parents, let me encourage you. You're going to fight with your kids. Like, that's going to happen. They are going to push back against you. Choose to fight about the right things. Some of y'all aren't fighting to have your kids in church regularly because you say, I just don't want to fight. Let me just ask you, did that mean that there are no fights in your house? No, the reality is there's still plenty of disagreements in your house. You just decided you're not going to fight that one. Choose the fights that you're going to have. You're going to have them. Make sure they matter. And understand, you might not get where you want to be tomorrow. It's not just about our kids, is it? How many of you ever went on a diet? You woke up the next day and you said, I am ready to look skinny tomorrow. And you didn't. 
I mean, I usually do, but y'all, I'm just kidding. You know, we don't, right? You wake up the next day, you're like, whoa, it's still here. Everything, I, I, I still weigh the same thing that I did yesterday. In a weekend, you've been clinging to it. Some of y'all know what it's like, and yet nothing changed. Two weeks later, you're not sure, and, and you're ready to just throw in the towel. And four or five weeks down the road, you run into somebody you had not seen in a while, and they go, whoa, what in the world happened to you? And you say, really? I, 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 I was just fixing to give up because I haven't even noticed any difference, and somebody else sees it. Y'all, when it comes to our gospel presentations, when it comes to our ministry towards others, don't quit just because it didn't happen today or tomorrow or yesterday. Don't give up just yet. Don't stop. I want you to be confident in the power of God's Word. It is strong and powerful. I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, if you're a Bible underliner, you should probably do this. Um, God says this in his word in Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you know that? I want you to continue to be confident in the power of God's word because it is powerful. And God's word doesn't go out without accomplishing something. Does it get done what you wanted it to get done yesterday? Maybe not. It's possible, however, that it accomplished more than you had any idea. Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes you made a difference in somebody's life and you didn't even know it? Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes a, a, a message that you shared made an impact? I know this as your pastor because I preach a lot. And sometimes when people, people walk out, there have been times when I preach a sermon and it just feels like an absolute flop. You know, I walk out depressed and, so, you know, oh, that was terrible. I just absolutely laid an egg. And somebody walks out and they look at me and they go, I appreciate that. And they, what they appreciated from the sermon. Or I get a, me, a text message later in the week that says, hey, I appreciated you said this. It meant so much because this is going on in my life. Or even better, like five weeks down the road and somebody says, I came upon this issue in my life and I remembered what was said in a sermon two months ago. And you go, wow. Sometimes God's doing things that we have no idea. Y'all are giving up because you didn't see it happen yesterday. Y'all are giving up because it didn't happen the way you thought it should. But you don't understand that God's at work behind the scenes. Continue to share the good news of the gospel. Keep on speaking. What if Paul just quit when the Jews said they didn't want to listen? Then he wouldn't have had the opportunity to see all these other people come to Christ. He wouldn't have had an opportunity to see a church planted in Corinth. Keep on speaking and be confident in the power of the Word of God. The second thing this morning, I want you to trust in God's desire and ability to save. See, I want you to keep on talking. And one of the reasons I want you to keep on talking because I want you to believe that God is not only able but desires to save Sinners, when Paul went to Corinth, it's not as though he went to the place that he sat around and said, this is the most strategic place for me to plant a church. I know the easiest place for me to plant a church is going to be right in the backyard of the temple of Aphrodite. Nobody said that seemed like a great idea. Everybody probably agreed that it was a place that desperately needed to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody really wanted to go. And some of it is because, if you want the truth of the matter, there's in us always some little doubt about whether or not God can actually save those people. Let me tell you something. There are none of those people that God cannot or will not save. 
There's no such thing as those people. You're not among those people and nobody you know is among those people. Because all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every single one. There is nobody who has ever been born who God would turn away. You've not sinned so far that God cannot or will not save you. Trust in God's ability and desire to save. Look, if you don't believe me, then watch this. Jesus was born and died. Why? To save sinners. That's the whole reason. You understand? If you're not sure whether or not God actually wants to save people, then explain to me why he would come down to earth as a man, live 33 years of sinless perfection, give his life on an old rugged wooden cross, and then rise from the grave three days later. There's a reason for that, and the reason is that he wanted people to come to know him and to be saved from their sin. He didn't do it for no reason. In the early service, I almost said he didn't do it for his health. But I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? He did it for a purpose. I want you to trust in, in, in God's desire and his ability to save. Paul did. That's the reason he could roll up in at Corinth and just start preaching. He's looking up. So the temple of Aphrodite is on a hill. You can imagine if, if he's in certain parts of the city, he can look up and see. Now, by the time that Paul is in Corinth, this is a, uh, the, the, the original temple had been destroyed by the Romans, and then a, uh, another one had been built, and it was a smaller temple than the one before. So it's not near as grandiose. But nevertheless, without a doubt, Paul would look up and he would see that. It wasn't the only temple that was in the city. There were also temples to the, to the sea gods. Um, uh, but he would look and he would see all of these temples. And yet, even in the midst of that, Paul's continuing to preach the very simple gospel of Jesus Christ because he knew without a shadow of a doubt that even these people who were captured by their lust for worldly goods and lust for sexual pleasure, these people who were captured by the sin of this city could be set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus desires to save the other reason I know that Jesus desires to save is because, well, I don't know if it's a reason, but let me just explain this to you. I want you to trust in it because this, God is patient towards you and others that you may reach repentance. Do you know that? God is patient towards you. 2 Peter 3.9 says that he is patient. Not, he's long-suffering. He's patient, wanting that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life in Christ Jesus. He wants to save people, and he's Patient in it. If you're tempted to give up on others, if you're tempted to just quit, then let me just remind you of how patient God has been with you. How many of you are so grateful that God's been patient with you? Right? How many of you can look back and say, man, he, he probably should have just smitten me. One of those good King James words, right? He should have just smitten me, just knocked me off the face of planet Earth. He should have just been done with me. But he didn't. He was patient. It's Mother's Day. So moms, how many of you know that word long-suffering? How many of you experienced that as a mom, right? And it's not just about your husband. It's like you have suffered long. God is patient and long-suffering. He sees us in the midst of all of our sin, all of our rebellion, and he just keeps waiting, actively waiting, eager for us to turn to him. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you're not here by accident. God has patiently brought you to this place. 
You might think that you're here for some other reason. You might think you're here to satisfy your mom or your wife or your grandma or your aunt. You might think you're just here to satisfy a friend. But here's why you're here. Because God has orchestrated the events of your life to bring you to this place today to hear me say this. He has been patient with you in your sin. But he longs today for you to turn from your sin and to give your life to him. He longs to save you today. But just as much as he longs to save you, watch this. He longs to save others in your life. We can just be so tempted to give up. Look, the Bible says that Paul continued to preach. And look, in verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. They run him out of the synagogue and the ruler of the synagogue says, No, no, this is what I need. Eighteen months Paul stayed. We don't know how long it was before we saw his first convert. But 18 months that he stayed there and he continued to preach the gospel. What was he consumed with? He was occupied with the word according to verse 5. Paul's working to earn a living as a tent maker. And then in every spare moment, what's he doing? He's occupied with the word. He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He's inviting sinners to come and know the Savior. He's reasoning with them. I love that Paul, do we get this over, over, uh, just overwhelming reference to Paul's reasoning with people? Do you know what it is to patiently reason with somebody? Just constantly coming back to them and saying, don't you understand? There's a pleading with Paul. He says, don't you understand? This Jesus is the Christ. He's the Savior of the world. Some people mocked him, but he continued to serve faithfully. How do we reach the future church? We keep on speaking. We trust in God's ability to save. And then third, this morning, we focus on the church of the future. Now look, when I say that, some of you are like, oh, this is what, what was he doing? The church of the future is this. The church of the future is not a building. It's not a location. It's not a facility. The church of the future is every single believer who doesn't yet believe. Does that make sense? The church of the future is everybody who will come to Jesus. The church of the future are those people that God spoke to Paul about. There were his people in the city. They don't yet know God. They don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But God's not finished. When Joseph was visited by the angel before Jesus was born, the angel gave Joseph several promises. But one of the things he said to Joseph was this. He said, call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Not he might, not he could, not hopefully something will work out. No, no. He will save his people. Listen, I don't want you to be afraid because God has his people in this city just like he did in Corinth. If you watch enough news, you'll be convinced that the whole world's turned against the church. You'll be convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ has no hope. You'll see the, the headlines, the church is shrinking, the church is this, the church is that. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. The only reason the church is not doing the things the church should do, it has nothing to do with the power of the people around the church, everything to do with the lack of obedience by the people within the church. God is not somehow less powerful today than he's ever been. The people of God are just less committed to going and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I promise you, his arm is not shortened so that it cannot save. Do not be afraid. God has people in his city. And he gave Paul three promises right here. He says, look, first he says, I'm with you. Well, that's pretty awesome, right? God's for us. Who can be against us? He says, number two, no one will attack you. And number three, I have many in this city. I believe that two of these promises are universal in the church. 
Okay? Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We got that promise from God's word. He's always with us. Um, we've got the promise. So he says, I've got many in this city. We've got the promise again from the angel that Jesus would save. And we've got the command from Jesus that we are to share the gospel, make disciples of all nations. I don't believe that Jesus would send us to do something that he hasn't empowered us to accomplish. So I think we can claim the promise that Jesus is with us and that he has people that, he, that are in this city. I don't know that we can say that no one will attack us, okay? Over and over and over again um, throughout the New Testament, we still see that God's people sometimes suffer. I can't promise you, I can't promise you that you won't suffer for the gospel. But two of those promises are pretty universal. And we can cling to those. We don't have to be afraid. We don't. Because God is with us. And he has many yet in this city, in this community, in your family, at your place of business, at your school. He has many yet who do not know him. But who he is ready to save. We've got to focus on the future of the church. We can't be afraid. We've got to focus on the future of the church also because the future church is not yet here. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, Craig, it's the future. Let me explain it. I think the future church is in two places. First of all, the future church are the people that just aren't yet saved. They're, they're, some of those are, are the people that have not yet come through the doors of this church. It's your neighbor that you've not reached yet. It's your mom that you're praying for. It's your classmate. That's the future church. But the future church are those people that yet haven't even moved here yet, right? The future church might be the people that move into the neighborhood that will be built across the street from our church. The future church might be the people that are going to move into our community and new homes are being built. The future church might be that new person that your company is hiring. You understand the future church isn't here, but we've got to constantly be thinking about the future. Now, as a church that's growing the way ours is and experiencing the kind of change, we can't just neglect the church that's here. We talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night. This is why life groups matter so much in our church. Because in our life groups, we have those relationships that get built. In our life groups, we've got the continuity, we've got the community, we've got the care for one another. Those are the places that that happens. And that's why it's so important. Listen to me. If you're part of our church and you're not involved in a life group, please don't leave here today. Please don't leave here today without seeing somebody. And by somebody, I mean Pastor Kevin... He will help you to figure out where. If you don't know who he is, he's the guy that stands up here with the microphone on Sunday morning. When we finish, he'll still be standing right here. Okay? Come find him. He will help you to figure out where there's a life group that you can visit. And in those places, you're going to have the relationships to help maintain you through here. But we can't neglect the church that's here. But, y'all, we've got to always be thinking about the church out there. The future church is going to look a little bit different than us. It's going to think a little different than us. Right? It's going to be whiter than us and blacker than us. It might speak different languages than us. It might be older than us. It might be younger than us. It might sing a little different than us. It might look a little different than us. It might be a little different socioeconomic situation than we are. We don't know exactly what the future church is going to look like, but here's what we know. We've got to do all we can to make certain that we are focused on reaching the people that are coming. We've got to reach them because guess what? There's only one hope for all of humanity, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to be reaching people. The future church isn't yet here. Paul went to the place. He's in Corinth, right? He's a little frustrated. He's a little disappointed. And God says, I am with you. I have many in this city. you imagine what an encouragement that must have been for Paul in a hard day? 
God says, don't leave yet. We've got work to do together. Folks, I want you to know that we've got work to do together. We've got this church that's got to be reached that's beyond us. And lastly this morning, so I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to know the future isn't here. But lastly this morning, I want you to think in a little different way. As we focus on the church of the future, I want us to focus on building a church for your children and your grandchildren. I want us to focus on generational faith. We read a lot about generational wealth, right? You know what that is. It's that that money that gets passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. I want to talk about generational faith here. And building the kind of faith community that is generational. I want us to be thinking, if you're a 40-something parent, I want you to be thinking about what it looks like. To build a faith community here that can allow you, the children who are in your home today to continue to be here and to raise their grandchildren here. I want us to be thinking long term that way. I want us to be thinking how we're going to reach not only this generation but the next generation and the generation beyond. So that Malvern Hill is a place where we are making a significant impact. Not just a drop of water in the bucket right now but an impact long term for years to come. That we're constantly investing in making disciples over and over and over. Making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That we're raising up older women who teach younger women and older men who teach younger men. And then we're just repeating the cycle over and over and over again. God's allowing us to do a lot of those things. But folks, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the moment that we forget that God's called us. God's called us to make a long-term impact right here. Right in this community. Paul planted a church in Corinth. We know that because we have a couple of letters that he sent back to the church in Corinth. And if you've read the letters to the church in Corinth, it was a messed up place. Right? It was really messed up. Should we really be surprised though? Paul gets to stay for 18 months. He shares the gospel. He makes some disciples. And then they get this church planted and off the ground. He has to leave. He leaves some leaders there. But remember, these are people that are coming to Christ out of cult prostitution. This is Las Vegas coming to Jesus. Folks, one of the reasons that we've got to focus on the future and on generational kind of faith it's because as people come to know the Lord who are far from Jesus, if we don't have the generations ahead of them to invest in them, then the only thing we can hope for is that these people just bring all their brokenness into the church and it just takes up residence there. As opposed to us being able to surround them with people who love Jesus that can help them work through that brokenness and find spiritual health and vitality. The church of the future is an exciting place to think about. But it really only matters if we are doubling down and being intentional in our investment. So I ask you this morning, will you look ahead? Will you look ahead? I mean seriously, would you look past the immediate moment where you live? The immediate week. Right? Would you look beyond it? Would you be willing to continue speaking even when you're not seeing those kind of results? Would you be willing to continue to trust in God's desire and ability to save? 
He has not run out of grace or mercy. And, and, and just to, to diverge from my notes for just a second. I don't know who that loved one is that you're praying for. It's Mother's Day. So some of you moms are broken today over wayward children. I don't know who that loved one is that you're praying for. He is not out of grace and mercy. He is not out of grace and mercy. It is never too late. If you're here today and you're only here to satisfy somebody else, that's okay. I'm glad you're here regardless of why you're here. But if you're here today and you've bought the lie that you've just sinned too much and Jesus won't take you, then let me just remind you, it's a lie that you've bought and there is no truth in it. He takes broken things and puts them back together. He takes messed up things and unmesses them up. He takes dirty things and he cleans them up, makes them new. So if you're here today and you don't know him, you've not sinned so far. The second thing, if you're here today and that loved one or that friend didn't show up, that loved one or that friend is not seeming to listen, that loved one or that friend, the prayers seem to be going nowhere, let me just remind you, they've not sinned so far that God cannot and will not save them. Please don't quit. Please don't stop. Y'all, we've got to be thinking about the future church, and the future church isn't a place. The future church is people. And the future church includes those people that are near and dear to your heart that don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we ask that question, will you look ahead? Will you? Will you pray ahead? Will you speak ahead? Will you trust in God's desire and his ability to save? As Kevin comes this morning, our musicians to lead us. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would love to pray with you today. I'd love to help you to know what it looks like to have that relationship. But perhaps you're here today and you recognize that you've just given up. Some of you really, you, you've just given up. It got hard. You got discouraged and you just quit praying for that husband or that wife. You're really struggling to believe that that coworker or that place of business could ever see a change. Today I ask you, would you look beyond the present moment? Would you trust, as Paul did, that God still has many there and his arm is not shortened to save? Stand with us this morning as we sing. Father God in heaven, we thank you for loving us. I thank you that you're patient with me. I pray you would forgive us for our sin and our short-sightedness. Help us to love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing with us this morning.